0: chapter 1. I told you I was going to do my best to finish Revelation uh, chapter 1 today and uh, I hope you won't hold it against me if that doesn't happen. I will do my best. Uh, the thing of it is is if I'm looking at the time as I'm going through here and it's like well if I finish I'm going to go over again. I held you long this morning and I'd like to get you out of here by 6 tonight. Um, I need to make it up to you. I respect your time and I appreciate you being here. So I have to make decisions as I go. So we'll see what happens here. I'm, I have a, a ton of notes that I cut down, and I still have a ton of notes. So I, I cut a bunch out this afternoon, but uh, I also don't want to sell this thing short. So if it takes us two more weeks, please forgive me for that, but I'm going to try to try to get you out of here to a reasonable time without cutting information out. Um, like I said before, the, all the chapters aren't going to go this slow, but we got to start out right and get a good foundation here, and that's what we're trying to do. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks are one, like uh, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they were burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters; and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not; I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive for evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Let's pray, and then we'll start going through here verse by verse. verse. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you for uh, giving me strength. I thank you for helping me out. Thank you for the ability and the privilege it is to be here tonight. I pray as we go through the rest of this chapter, Father, that you'd lead us and guide us. I pray you'd open up our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Uh, teach us your word. And I pray, Father, you'd make me an able teacher, uh, an able minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Now I pray that you'd help every one of us in here to have our faith strengthened by going through this book. Uh, one verse at a time, Father, help us to cover it accurately I pray that you'd be with my mouth and help me not to make mistakes, help me to give them good doctrine, and really, Father, to be receiving that spiritual blessing that you promised from study in the book of Revelation particularly. We need your blessing. We need your help. Help us to get our eyes on you tonight and to get some practical application, some practical help for our daily lives and for our spirit, for what we're trying to do with our life for you. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Like I've already told you before, I'm not going to spend a lot of time tonight repeating myself, but the book of Revelation is not hard to understand. It's not hard to understand. You can read these words and you can understand exactly what they're saying. But I will tell you this, what you get into as you go through here is that it can become hard to believe. Some of the stuff's far out there. And uh, we're going to do our very best to make the thing make sense. If you believe the Bible and you compare Scripture to Scripture, it's not that hard to grab a hold of. Notice in verse number 12, he says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Now, we had just gone through in verse number 11, he had gone through the different churches that he told John to write to. Remember that? There were seven different churches. And he said, Write to these seven churches. And so he heard the voice speaking to him. And he says, And I turned to see the voice that spake unto me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. So, those seven golden candlesticks, those are like the candlestick that you saw in the Old Testament tabernacle. There was a candlestick in there when you'd walk in. I believe that was on the south side because you'd enter in from the east. And the candlestick, I think, was on the south side. And it had seven branches, right? There's one candlestick and there's three on either side and one up the center. There's seven lights on it. And it was set over against the table of showbread. I think that was on the north side, if I'm not forgetting, right? He knows. All things Jew. He's seen it. There you go. Uh, he knows all the Jewish stuff for sure. So that's I'd, I'd double check everything with him. How many times have you been to Israel? Mike, how many times have you been to Israel? Uh, not enough. Okay, there you go. Okay, good answer. A lot. So here's the thing. On the other side was the table of showbread. Now here's what's super interesting about the table of showbread. The table of showbread had 12 loaves on it. Lined up six and six. How many books you got in your Bible? 66. You got 66 books in your Bible. That's pretty wild, ain't it? You know, they come to you and they say, well, how do you know the apocryphal books aren't actually books of the Bible, and how do we know this, and how do we know that? The Catholic Church would love for you to believe the apocryphal books are books of the Bible, because those are the only books they can find anything about purgatory and some of the other stuff, prayers to the dead, some of the other stuff that they want you to believe, and that stuff doesn't match up with anything else in any of your Bible anywhere at all. The apocryphal books were thrown out of the Bible because they were obviously not consistent with the rest of the Bible. They didn't go together. It's plain as the nose on your face. And then you begin to study what God's doing and how He's even setting up the Old Testament tabernacle. And then He's bringing this thing into picture here in Revelation as it applies to churches. And He's showing you the fingerprints of God on it all. The more you study your Bible and the more you dig and the more you research and the more you confirm and the more you find and the more you study, the more you realize when you hold a King James Bible in your hands, you're holding the very perfect, inerrant, infallible words of Almighty God. And you have everything that you need from start to finish to feed your soul from now to eternity, Amen. you got it all right here. There's 66 books. And the interesting thing is God sets light over against the showbread. And I'm going to show you what those candlesticks are. He says later on in verse number 20, the candlesticks are the seven churches. Now you think about that for a minute. I'll ask you a question. What's the purpose of church? Church. Do you know a lot of people can't answer that? I know Bible-believing people that get like, uh, well, that's a great question. i got to stop and think about that a minute. You've been taught so much foolishness about church, it's like not even funny anymore. You know, you don't, this, this place doesn't exist to win souls. Do you, you do understand that? Oops. Well, you say I work together to win souls for Christ. Yeah, love one another, pray for one another, and then that's something else that we do. You know, a lot of the folks I've led to Christ in the last few years, I've led to Christ because you brought them in. New Christians that don't know enough Bible to actually go through and answer all the questions, but they know what Jesus did for them, and they got a friend, and they bring a friend. They talk to my preacher. Oh, preacher, you want so many people to Christ. Not really. These people did it. That's pretty cool, ain't it? Church, the church doesn't exist to be a soul. Win. We need to be winning souls. Everybody should be out street preaching. Everybody needs to come on Saturday for street preaching and, and Thursday night for door knocking and we got to be out there. That's not what we exist for. I think soul winning is a great thing. I'm not against street preaching and door knocking and all. I think soul winning is wonderful. I love seeing people saved. Don't, isn't it great that we're, living, we're in a church where people are regularly getting saved? I mean, that is an absolutely awesome thing, but that's not what we exist for church doesn't exist to give people something to quote do for God what does that mean I just want to do something for the Lord okay so fill in that blank for me well that means I got to be a missionary that means I got to be a preacher that means I got to like I got to have a position a title in the church don't you know that like actually spending time with my kids is doing something for God do you know that like spending time with my wife is doing something for God Don't you know that like taking care of the stuff, the property and the things that God has given me is actually doing something for God? Don't you know everything in my life, all that I am belongs to the Lord? And I can be serving God at home just like I'm serving God in my official capacity in the pulpit at church preaching. What is church for? It's not to give you something to do to make you busy. You know what it's for? It's to feed your soul. We gather together here to learn our Bibles, to grow in Jesus Christ, to get equipped, according to the book of Ephesians. You're being equipped for what? To go back out there in the world and continue to serve God all week. You're getting the conviction you need, the direction you need, the correction you need, the help you need. Church is here, number one, first and foremost. We're here to get our eyes on Jesus Christ and learn about Him. And how else are we going to do that other than by the preaching of the Word of God? When you come into church, it ought to be casting a whole lot of light on the Bible that's in your lap. A pastor's job, listen, the number one way to evaluate a preacher... It has nothing to do with whether or not he runs a good ship, whether or not he's got a lot of programs going on, whether or not this, that. Those things are all nice and wonderful, and I pray that God gives us all that stuff with time. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But first and foremost, when I sit there in that pew and open my Bible, does God speak to my heart? Am I getting light on the Word of God? Am I getting closer to Jesus Christ? Am I learning the things that I'm supposed to be learning? The church is likened to a candlestick. Now, notice in the passage, he says, "I saw seven golden candlesticks." Now, that number seven is important. Um, there's number seven is actually means the definition of it is dispensational fullness or completion. Number seven is the doctrinal number for the book of Revelation. You, you gotta just grab a hold of that. Um, In Revelation, you're going to see seven churches, seven candlesticks, seven spirits before the throne, seven stars of the churches, seven seals, a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. The book is opened and seven angels, seven trumpets, and seven plagues come out. Uh, The beast has seven heads. The number seven is mentioned 50 times in the book of Revelation. 50 is seven times seven, which is 49. And what's after that? It's 50. And what's 50 the number of? It's the number of Jubilee. You know what that is? That's the rest at the end. The number seven's all throughout the book of Revelation. The number seven's all throughout your Bible. It's a wild thing if you really start digging down and you start studying the number seven, it's going to blow your mind. Uh, Naaman had to dip in Jordan how many times? Seven, seven times. Now that's going to come back up as we go through Revelation because guess what happens when they receive the mark later on in the book of Revelation? Which, by the, way, by the way, a possibility for that mark, we'll get into this more later, a possibility for that mark may have something to do with some kind of leprosy. Naaman had leprosy. They get some kind of a spot in them, and in the tribulation period, not right now, in the tribulation period, they can possibly be saved by getting baptized in Jordan and washing away that mark a salvation plan in the tribulation. We'll get into detail on it later, but that's coming back in the tribulation period. That doesn't exist. You don't get baptized right now to get saved. That's for some other time period. So it's a very interesting thing to note the number seven. Look at verse number 13. We'll get into that more as time goes on, just kind of laying some groundwork here. Verse number 13, he says, In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like the Son of Man. Now you know who that is. The Son of Man, that's the Lord Jesus Christ in His priesthood, right? I'm sorry, in, as a prophet. That's when He was here first. We discussed that already. One like unto the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So that's His priesthood. That's what He is right now. Don't forget He was a prophet, right, when He was here. Currently, He's a priest. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. And in the future, He's going to be the King. He's going to be ruling and reigning. What you have here in verse number 13 is the priestly garments of Jesus Christ. God's giving you a view of them. Look at verse 14. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Folks, that is how Jesus Christ looks in eternity. His His head and his hair are white like wool, and his eyes as a flame of fire. This effeminate Jesus they're presenting to you, religion presents to you, is the farthest thing from reality you ever come across in your cotton-picking life. The Bible does not describe the Lord Jesus Christ like the world does. You know why everybody knows about the baby in a manger? Little baby Jesus, little baby Jesus, oh baby Jesus. But almost nobody knows about Him in His second coming. Almost nobody knows about what He's going to look like when they stand before Him. Because the Lord Jesus Christ right now in His glorified presentation, in His eternal presentation, will scare the fire out of you. He's a a righteous judge. He's an almighty God. He's risen again from the dead. He's the superpower of the universe. And he ain't never again going to be laid down and beat down and, 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 and tore half to shreds and nailed to a cross. and no, Never again they're going to put a crown of thorns on his head and smack him. They're never going to cuss him again, rip his beard out. That's not going to happen ever again. They don't want to deal with the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. Right. So they get to the book of Revelation, they say, oh, forget the book of Revelation, it's too hard to understand. Oh, it's all an allegory. Oh, you wouldn't get it anyhow. Oh, you've got to go to the scholars and make sure that they take you to the originals and figure out what that actually means and ask your priest what he thinks. Because they don't want you to know, and you know what, most people are happy to just accept that because they don't want to deal with the reality of who he is right now. Go back to the book of Song of Solomon, if you would, please. I'll show you what he looked like when he was here. When he was on this earth... And he looks nothing like religion wants to present him to you. Song of Solomon, get chapter number 5. Verse 10. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. Now the word ruddy would mean a yellow brown, and and notice that's that's a, his color. He's a Jew. Jesus Christ was not a Japhethite, you know, six foot two and about hundred and fifty pounds, like they draw him, with long slender fingers that are perfectly manicured. He he was a. Did I tell you what chapter? Song of Solomon five. Okay, he was a he was a Jew, and he had a yellow brown color to him because he's Jewish. And his hair is black. That's what it says. His head is as most fine goals. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. Did Jesus have long hair? Uh, let me look around here. Yeah, longer than any of you guys. Well, Mike might be a competitor, but outside of that, you know. <laughs> now, how about that? You know, some of the brethren, you know, their, their, their little self-righteous viewpoint of everything Uh, The Bible doesn't always fit your self-righteous viewpoint. He had bushy black hair and a big old bushy black beard because they were told not to round the corners of their beard. He was a Jew. Uh, Look at verse uh, 12. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the ravens of water washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as the bed of spices and sweet flowers. His lips like lily dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with the burl his belly is as a bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance was as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. You know, Jesus Christ was strong. You know, you know now, <laughs> you've seen some of those memes, you know, don't skip leg day, and you've got this monster guy, and then he's got like little flamingo legs, you know what I'm saying? Love it. Uh For whatever reason, guys like the glamour muscles, you know, chest and biceps, and all that don't make you strong. You know, big biceps and a big chest does not mean that you can hit hard, move fast. You know what a man's real power is at? It's in his legs, it's in his hips, it's in his core. You can tell a guy is strong by how he moves. You know what he said about the Lord's legs? He must have grown up uh, 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 swinging uh, great big old logs around as a carpenter. See, back in that day, they didn't get it delivered pre-cut. They cut it down. He was a strong man. He wasn't some... I, I resent this effeminate little sissified Jesus that they present. And I, ref, I resent this sissified effeminate culture you live in. And listen, if you're female, then I don't say that effeminate was such a cutting way. I, I respect that. I think women ought to be effeminate. I disrespect mm-hmm. bullish women. I literally can't stand it. We're not all the same, okay? You go cut yourself up and try to become the same and you even look weirder. We're not the same. So that's okay, right? I'm not saying that effeminate thing and a put down to women. I'm saying that with an effeminate culture among men. And Christianity has been effeminized. And they expect their preachers to be effeminate and talk effeminate. I don't think the Lord is anything like that. He going in there flipping over those tables in the the temple. (laughs) How's that effeminate? He was scared of nothing, man. At 12 years old, he's sitting in the temple both hearing them and asking them questions, and they're astounded at his learning. 12 years old. You know, he must have been one respectful, well-composed 12-year-old young man that grabs the attention of everybody in the room, and they're looking at him like, what in the world is that? He was a powerhouse is what he was. He laid down his life. That was Jesus Christ when he was here. Go to the book of Daniel, please. Daniel chapter 7. Look at him in his eternal state. Daniel chapter 7. I want you to recognize him when you see him. <laughs> I want you to say, "Like, wow, man, the Bible was right on. I just couldn't totally imagine it, but that's exactly what the Bible was saying. Daniel chapter 7, verse number 9. And I beheld the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit. What a name, boy! Whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure, like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and were there. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set. And the books were opened. You see what he looks like? He's the Ancient of Days. White garments, white hair, and eyes like a flame of fire. Back to Revelation chapter 1. See, when you see the Lord in His ancientness, He's not some crippled up old man sitting on a throne in heaven. He's eternally forever God. Eternally forever superpower of the universe, man. That's a wild thought to me. I just absolutely love studying this kind of thing. Look at verse number 15. It says, His feet like fine brass as if they were burned in a furnace, and His voice as the sound of many waters. Now, here's the interesting thing. In verse 14, it says, His eyes are as a flame of fire. And then it talks about His feet, which we'll get to in just a second in verse 15. Go with me if you would, please. I want you to see these verses. Go with me if you would to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 3. And if this is turning too much, just stay where you're at and write the notes down. You can look them up later if you're interested, if you can't keep up with the turning. But we've got to study, right? And uh, we're doing a verse-by-verse study, so we've got to look these things up, and you get some, some understanding. You get a little deeper insight into what's going on. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, and look at verse number 8. The Bible says in Galatians 3, 8, And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. What I want you to notice is that the scriptures actually could see. Ain't that a bizarre way to put it? The scriptures for seeing. So the Bible back there is looking at something. Now watch this. Go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter number 23, and I want you to see verse 29. This ties back into who Jesus Christ is because I I told you when we began this thing that you cannot separate the Lord Jesus Christ from the Word of God. Right? Remember that? You're born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, right? The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's a weird thing. Our hands have handled the Word of life. So when God writes the Bible and he describes the Bible to you, and then God describes Jesus Christ to you, they're so interwoven that you can't really separate the one from the other. Now, do you see why I say when you come to church, you ought to come to church saying, I want to learn my Bible. Why? Because how else are you going to know you're learning about Jesus Christ? if I'm just going to get up and talk to you about Jesus Christ and we're going to go about how we feel and Jesus this and Jesus that and tradition and the church fathers and what's been passed down and oral tradition and what we... How do you know you got... How do you have anything in your hand that you can turn to and you can look and you can research and you can dig down and you can study and you can confirm? All you've got, all you've got to really say, hey, look, I got something solid and I know what I believe and I know why I believe it and let me show you, is that Bible in your lap? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by... The Word of God. Well, you need to get saved, right? Sure. And you've got to have faith to get saved, right? Sure. How do you know you have the right faith? Yeah. I can put my faith in anything I want. How do I know I put my faith in the right thing? The book. Now, I'm going to show you the importance of the book and the connection of the Bible to your Savior. Jeremiah 23, look verse 29. Is not my word like as a... Well, ain't that interesting? Sayeth the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces... So that's why when somebody keeps coming, if they keep coming for three years and they're still not saved, you know what we do? We let them keep coming. Well, do you know Do you know this? Do you know that? Hey, man, they're not a member of the church. They're not teaching Sunday school. Leave them alone and let them, why? Because the Bible eventually, it's like a jackhammer. Eventually, if they keep coming, (laughs) they got more and more of a chance all the time. Wear them down. (laughs) Give them Bible. Just keep quoting Bible to them. I love it, man. I was talking to somebody this afternoon. He was texting me some questions, and I was texting Bible back to him. And another question, and Bible back. I, you know what I like about the Bible? I think it's just always. I, I think it's so cool, man. Somebody asks you a question, and God gives you a verse. And they ask you another question, and God gives you a verse. And they ask you, and God, that Bible was like a jackhammer. It'll get through your stubborn head, your stubborn heart, and your stubborn mind. But it's also like a fire. Now back in Revelation chapter 1, he said he has eyes. Don't go back there yet. He says he has eyes like a flame of fire. That's interesting. And when he judges you, he judges you the fire. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. And then we'll go to Revelation 1, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Look at verse uh, 24. So the Bible will judge you. Uh, the Lord's eyes, when he looks at you, he's going to look straight down into your soul. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Uh, In reference to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you this much right now. The thought of it, the concept of it, scares me half out of my mind. Really? Perfect love cast out of fear. Okay. (laughs) You go on and you strut in the judgment seat. You strut in before the ancient of days. You, You look him eyeball to eyeball and you're here to give an account. I'm ready. Woke you up. Sorry about that. Not me. That scares the fire out of me. Look at First Timothy chapter five: "Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment." That's what happened to David. David messed it up, and he got it right away. Can I tell you something? <laughs> I have throughout my life, throughout my entire life, it's always felt like every time I get it, boy, I can run. I, I'm telling you, I'm a lot smarter than some of my friends. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just smarter than some of them. That sounds so arrogant. And those jokers could get away with everything, and I could set up a perfect plan, and I could get away with absolutely cotton-picking nothing. And I'm like, I know I got what it takes. (laughs) I could run the mob if I wanted, you know. And it seemed like every time I mess up, God just gets me so fast. And I praise His glorious name for it. If you got parents, kids that get on you and get on you quick and get on you about everything and then you watch other kids run around and get away with murder and never get in trouble, you ought to go in your bedroom, shut the door, get on your knees and thank God. Not be a little rebellious brat and resent them for it. That is a blessing when God puts you on a short leash. I would rather get dealt with now. Some men's sins go beforehand, are open beforehand, going before the judgment. Right? Is you know, some of you have been busted up good? Ain't you ain't you messed up and gotten busted up for it? <laughs> That's a good thing. Sir. You ever see people get away with murder? Sir. Get bitter towards God because why didn't God deal with them when he's dealing with me and all that kind of thing? How come I never get away with it and that dirty rotten dog? Watch the Bible. And some men they fell after. You know what that means? That means when they walk into that throne room before God Almighty and they look into those eyes as a flame of fire, it's time. Now, wouldn't you much rather God bust you good right now and get on your knees right now and say, God, I'm so sorry. Please have mercy on me. Please forgive me. I'll get this thing right. And with your help, I'll turn it around and I won't do it anymore. Help me. Right? sir. Sure. And God say, all right, you're going to reap what you sowed. Yes, sir. And walk into the judgment and have God say, what sin are you talking about? You took that to me, and I got that thing, you got that thing right. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, God, I thought for sure when you put those eyes as a flame of fire, when you put the word of God to my efforts, to my life, I thought for sure some of that stuff was going to be coming up. And God said, like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> but you know how, now, now here's the application of what I'm trying to show you. How do you know when you messed up? Some stuff's obvious, folks. Adultery, fornication, drunkenness, cussing, all the rest. Some stuff's super obvious, right? Right. Ain't you ever had problems lurking down in your soul and not realize they're there? Yes, Ain't you ever been right when somebody hurt you and did you wrong, and you weren't even wrong, and you find out later that you became wrong because that thing got in your craw and started eating at you and became a cancer and became bitterness? How do you even know where you need to fix what and what you need to fix and where you're off? That's right. That right there. What you're doing right here tonight, being faithful to come in church and asking God to speak to you, staying in your Bible, that Bible exposes sin. I'd rather it expose now. I haven't learned enough. I am not happy with the amount of Bible I've learned. I'm not anywhere near happy. I'm not proud of how many times I've read my Bible cover to cover, and I won't even tell you how many times I do per year, but it's but it's a good amount. And I'm not happy. I'm not pleased with my Bible knowledge. I'm not pleased with my understanding of sin and human nature and right and wrong and God and what he does and doesn't want. And I'm not miserable either. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not sitting here like always pushing to attain this thing that I can't possibly attain. and Nothing's ever good enough, and I'm an unholy, wicked, miserable wretch. I'm not saying that either. I'm just telling you, I want to know more of Him. And I want to understand more of me. And I want Him to mold me more to His image because He's God. You understand what I mean? And He's got eyes as a flame of fire. That scares me. And beyond that, back to Revelation chapter number 1. Beyond that... It's not just the fact that he's God and I'm scared of him, folks, it's what he did for me. I don't serve God because I'm afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I get that, but I'm trying what I mean by what I'm saying is this. I don't tithe because I'm afraid that God's going to blow up my tires. I despise that kind of preaching. I'm not despising the individuals that do it because sometimes they're genuine. They've just been taught wrong. I mean, they've been taught absolutely wrong. Like God's this big, desperate mafia don in heaven looking for you to pay up because he wants your money so bad. That is a bizarre concept to me. Oh, your furnace blew out because you didn't tithe. Oh, you got sick because you skipped church. I don't tithe because I'm paranoid about my money. I don't give to God so I can back him off of me. I don't come to church because I don't want God to get me. I don't read my Bible because, up, see, every time I read my Bible, something bad happens. Every time I don't read my Bible, something bad happens. I I tithe because I love him. And I want to tithe. Nobody's got a gun to my head. Nobody at all. Nobody forces me to give. I come to church not because I'm the pastor and I get a paycheck. There's other ways to make a paycheck. I come to church because I actually want to be here. Do you know serving God is better than not serving Him? Go on, try it. I, 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 just, I just challenge you. If you want to be an absolute fool, go for it. Go out there in the world, see what you can get, have a great time, enjoy yourself, enjoy all the heartbreak, all the trouble, all the trials, all the misery that comes with the little buzz you enjoy, the little bit of fun you get because there is pleasure in sin. God's not a liar and he told you in the Bible there's pleasure in sin. But he said for a season. But you know with his right hand are pleasures evermore. You know serving God's a blessing? <laughs> I serve Him because I want to serve Him, because I love Him. Look at what He did for you in verse 15. His feet are like fine brass. In your Bible, brass is a type of judgment. It typifies judgment. His feet are like on the fine brass as if they burned where? Huh. Brass that's on fire, brass that's been burned. Well, what did the Bible tell you? What did He do before He ascended? He descended first. What do you say in Psalms? Thou wilt not suffer my soul to stay in hell. Neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. You know what he did for me? He paid my sin debt on the cross of Calvary. He didn't just live the perfect life for me and give his life for me. The judgment Jesus Christ was afraid of, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. This, again, I'm going to keep kicking it, okay? I'm sorry, I just have to, I can't help it. I've been really nice lately and I've been a little sick and weak and I'm getting some coming back in my guts a little bit, you know what I mean? Look, he wasn't in the garden, oh Father, if it be possible... Help them not to beat me. I'm so afraid of the beating. Anything but the beating. Not the crown of thorns. Oh no, not the nails. <laughs> that, that ain't Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you right now. I'll just go out on a limb and say this and I'll answer for it when I get to them. But that ain't Jesus Christ, man. That ain't, that ain't my Savior. That might be the Savior some of these people think they got. But that ain't my Savior. He wasn't afraid of a crown of thorns. He wasn't afraid of some Roman scourging. He wasn't afraid of some nails through his hands and through his feet. That wasn't he wasn't worried about a spear in his side. He was a warrior. Do you understand that? He was almighty God become man. He wasn't asking God to get him out of the physical pain. Give me a break. That's insane. He was asking God, don't let me drink from that cup. The cup of judgment. The cup of sin. The cup, you and I, in the lusts of our flesh, we want to drink from that. What we don't realize is, when you're getting into that sin, you're getting into the judgment of God. I know you don't hear that preached anymore, right? <laughs> well, that's the God of the Bible, and we're preaching the Bible around here. And if you want Bible, this is the place to be. And if you don't, well, you get whatever you want anywhere you want nowadays. He didn't want to. He didn't want to drink a sin. He didn't want to drink of the judgment of God. He's sweating great drops of blood because he's about to do something. Man, he is all, he's eternity. He is Alpha and Omega. He's beginning and end. He was, is, and is to come Almighty. He's God. And he's coming down here to drink of our sin and the judgment of Almighty God and descend into hell for you and I and rise again the third day. That's why his feet are like brass. Man, you think of what he did for you. I don't believe, and I don't think you'll ever convince me, I don't believe any of us genuinely grasp the reality of what Jesus Christ did for us and how much He loves us. Right. 100%. I think if we really could get a hold of how much He loves us, I mean, if you could really get a hold of it, unless you're a psychopathic idiot, I think it would change your life forever. I don't think there's any more powerful motive for serving Jesus Christ than our love for Him because of what He's done for us. I wish I could put it into words. I get frustrated sometimes feeling so inadequate to do what I'm trying to do tonight. I can't even wrap my own puny little mind around it. But there it is, and it's as real as the nose on my face. I've told you before, and I'm telling you again, I believe with all my heart heaven is more real than this life. Doesn't it say that death's going to get swallowed up of life? (laughs) You know what you are? You're dying. Somebody asked me recently something to the effect of why do I feel so dead inside? I said, because you're dying. And what you need is you need life. Jesus Christ said, I'm coming that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And then he tells you that death is going to be swallowed up of life. You know what you, know what you are? <laughs> it's funny. Especially for the young people. I don't, think you, I don't think you totally grasp it. You know what you are? You're dying. You, you're dying. You're dying. Do you know you have to sleep, or sooner or later you'll die? I've stayed awake to the point where I'm hallucinating. Just to prove I could do it. <laughs> Literally hallucinating. Seeing that you see, I'm talking seeing things. You know how short your life or how weak you really are? You know what's a funny thing to me, man? I'm an energetic guy. I mean, I'm way less, I got way less energy, well, quite a bit less energy than I used to have maybe five, ten years ago. But I still have a lot of energy. I mean, my body, I just, I mean, I wake up wide awake. I felt so good this morning. I knew I was on the mend when I woke up at 445. Boom. And I'm like, oh, God, can I get just maybe one more hour and make sure I'm good? And he's like, mm-mm. Or my body was like, mm-mm. My brain started going. I'm like, I think I'm back, you know. <laughs> Got out of bed. I, I've been like that my whole life. My wife was even telling the girls, like, no, you don't, don't understand. He's never been much of a sleeper. A lot of energy. And you can go from being energetic and feeling great and ready to tear the world apart and in two weeks, so weak like walk getting up and walking downstairs and sit down on the couch and now I gotta sleep. Ain't that weird? From some invisible bacteria. Tucked away somewhere in your body. (laughs) Yeah. You're dying. And it wouldn't take much to snuff out your life. No matter how young, how strong. But boy, when you step over that thing into the next one, I believe that for the first time ever, you actually live. You're not in a dying body anymore. You're not trapped in time anymore. I think that is going to be so real when we get there and we see Him. It's going to be so real that it's going to make this feel like, when you look back at it, it's going to feel like some kind of a fairly vivid dream but everybody's not interested in that you know they're not interested in what's going to last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever they're not interested in something that's way billion times billions of times more abundant not interested in that we're interested in the here and now the lust of my flesh what i want what i'm going to do what i think what i feel what makes me happy I'd stop a little bit and I'd think about Him. It says here in verse 15, and we'll probably stop here, and I apologize, I did not mean to lie to you, but I just don't want to rush through the rest of these. i got quite a bit of verses here that I want to show you, and if we stop here, then we'll be perfect for next week. So uh, it says here at the end of verse 15, and His voice as the sound of many waters. So you've got, you've got God sitting there, and you see Him as the Son of Man, And he's clothed with the garment down to the foot and he's girt about the paps with a golden girdle. He's got his priestly garments on. And his head and his hair are white like wool and they're white as snow. His eyes are as a flame of fire when you look at them. And his feet are like brass as if they've been burned in a fire. And then he speaks. And his voice is enough to melt your soul when you hear it. It says it's the sound of many waters. How many of have ever heard of Niagara Falls? Yes. You know, you can hear that thing roaring from, am I wrong, miles away at the right time. It's a powerful, it's an overwhelmingly powerful thing. I want to show you a couple verses about the voice of God. Go with me first to, uh, well, let's look at Revelation chapter 10 since we're here. Revelation chapter 10 verse 3. Revelation chapter 10 verse number 3. It says, and cried with a loud voice, and we'll cover this in more detail when we get to it, as when a lion roareth. That's a cool sound. I'm infatuated with lions and wolves. Again, you've heard me say that before. I apologize for repeating myself, but I kind of feel guilty loving lions and wolves since I'm a pastor. You know, Satan walks about as a roaring lion and wolves come in among the sheep, you know. But they're pretty infatuating beings. And Jesus Christ here is roaring like a lion. You hear their roar? It's not exactly what you'd think it is. But the thing about it is that it has a, has a certain penetrating power. It can go so far. It can carry such a long distance. And it strikes fear if you know what it is. His, his voice, he cries with a loud voice as when a lion roared. Whole earth is going to hear him. And when he cried, seven thunders, notice that, uttered their voice. You see the seven again? Fifty times in Revelation, the number seven pops up. And he cries, and seven thunders utter their voice. Go to John chapter 12. John chapter number 12. Look at verse 29. Well, actually, back up here. Um, Look at verse 28. He says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven. There's the voice of God saying, I both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. You know what people heard when they heard the voice of God? They just heard thunder. Now I wonder, I'm not stating this as a fact, I wonder if at the rapture you hear your name, But all they hear is a massive storm, Uh, uh, earth-shattering thunder. You ever hear thunder hit so hard it scare you? Come on, some of you grown men, you 40, 50-year-old men, you jumped in the last year or two because of thunder? I felt it hit, and it felt like it hit my house. It shaked the house, man. You know what I do, man? I lay there and pray. (laughs) I'm like, well, I know that's not the rapture because I didn't hear my name, but, man, that's scary, you imagine the voice of God when He's showing up, boy, and you hear His voice? Go to Psalms chapter 104. Psalm chapter 104 and then just one more verse after that and we'll pause here until next week. Psalm 104. Look at verse uh, 7. How this, in the context which we don't have time to go over, you can see that this is a pretty supernatural situation, all right? In verse number 7, it says, At thy rebuke, they fled. At the voice of thy thunder, they hasted away. I mean, God's using His Word, and He's rebuking them. It's coming out, His voice is coming out like thunder. I mean, can you, ima- can you imagine being so, po- so powerful? Some of you kids into all that superhero stuff, you know, the, whatever, they, whatever they're called. I forget the name of them right now, but, you know, can you imagine having this Superpower, where you literally can blow the whole planet off course with your voice. What was creation like, man? I mean, he created the worlds with his word, right? And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. That's how he's making it. That's how he's making it. He made the stars also. <laughs> stars. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder what that thing was like, Genesis 1-2, dividing the waters from the water. I wonder what kind of racket was going on, what kind of noise was going on. It was a big bang. <laughs> You're an idiot. That was the thunder of God. And it wasn't a big bang and slowly evolving. It was God making it in one day, making the next thing one day, one day, one day, one day by speaking it into existence. And He is that word. And he penned down for you something so powerful that he spoke into existence. I mean, I mean, you're going to believe that God spoke the world into existence in six literal days, right? Yeah. You guys believe that? God said and it happened and God said and it happened, right? Genesis 1, you believe that? Yes. Sir. All right, so is it so far-fetched to you for you to believe that God spake, the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost and that a God that could create all that, A God that could make you an entity. I mean, literally, make you a triune being. Breathe in your nostrils the breath of life and you become a living soul. A God that can cause a baby to be conceived, conceived in a womb and develop in a womb and come out and become an individual. That's a miracle. And you believe that happens. But you think that same God is too weak and impotent to be able to give you a Bible. Perfect. Inerrant. Infallible. So you have one thing. He doesn't promise you any miracles. He doesn't promise you angelic visitations. He doesn't promise you all that foolishness. Not now. Not in this dispensation. He gave you his word. And you think that God can't give you his word perfect and inerrant and infallible and inspired. Yes, I believe I'm holding. You believe it's preserved or inspired. Yes. Yes, Well, which one? Preserved or inspired? Yes. Yes. Well, that's uneducated. Okay, great. Talk to God about it when you see Him, because I don't. I'm not going to waste my time with you. That's right. That ain't that ain't much. That ain't much at all. That ain't nothing. God ain't going to pat me on the back for believing the Bible. Come on. Right. I mean, that's just common sense, man. That's just. I mean, that's just real good education. That's all that is. Give me a break. He spoke the thing, and his his voice speaks, and he he can do this, and he can't give you a Bible. I don't know what kind of God you serve if you believe that stuff. Go to Psalm 29 and we'll be done. Psalm chapter 29. I just don't believe that. I don't believe a God that can save my soul, wash away my sin, move inside of me. He can move inside of me and make me a new creature. (laughs) And he can wash away every cotton-picking, foolish thing I've ever done in my life. And not only that, but he saved me at almost six years old. I was a month before my sixth birthday when I got saved. And he didn't just save me. But he's kept me saved uh, almost 40 years now. I mean, every, almost everything I've done that's displeased him and that's been wicked has been done since I was saved. <laughs> and he not only saved me, moved inside of me, kept me, but he's whooped me and not thrown me away and loved me and helped me and he's sealed me. And I believe that. If he can do all that, that's a much bigger deal than me believing he kept his word perfect. I also, that's all a much bigger deal. I could see him throwing me away. I could see him making a dispensational exception for me. And yeah, no, Satan, you're right. I've seen that boy. And he knows a lot better than what he's done. And he could have done a lot more. And he knows better than to make some of the mistakes he's made in his life. Oh, we'll step over a boundary here. Reagan, you're out. But he ain't gonna. Because his promises are good. We'll look at that next time. He's got some keys. Yeah, just Psalm twenty nine. I gotta stay focused, or I'm gonna stay here all night. Look at verse three. Now seven times you're gonna see the voice of the Lord here. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory of the God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Man, I talk about that, thorn, that storm, that thunder that shake my house. He can snap a tree. <laughs> you ever drive by after a storm and see them trees snapped and think maybe the thunder did that? Maybe that was the voice of God? Man, I, was, I forget where I was. No, I don't, but I'm not going to say it. I was coming back from a, from a, from a call, an important deal, and I'd, I'd driven all night and been up all day and I was driving back and I got home, almost home, had to run out to John's house, I think, and then I was heading home. And that storm hit. And man, I mean, I'm not joking you. I'm driving down nine mile, heading back to my house. And, and the thunder, and the, it was so bad. I'm literally dodging branches that are snapping off. I mean, they're bigger than my thigh. Snapping off, and I'm watching them come down like that, swing by them. I mean, I ran one over that was about that big. I mean, dodging branches on the way home. I pull into the, the fellowship Baptist Church up there in Nine Mile at the curves, and pull up next to the building to kind of shelter myself from the storm coming this way. And just sat, I sat there and just started laughing. (laughs) Just like, this is unreal. Fire trucks running everywhere. Uh, Some lady pulled in there and she's like, "Wow, the roads are shut down. There's wires down across the road." And that that was just, that was just a little storm. You know, the the voice of God can snap a cedar. Just, just shock just snapping that just wipe out a forest just his voice (laughs) you got quite a God sitting on a throne in heaven that you're going to answer to Uh, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon he maketh them also to skip like a calf so that that voice goes across there and shakes them trees Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn the voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire the voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness the Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh the voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve. Now that's wild. He talks about snapping forests down, and then he says, Yeah, and I speak, and the babies are born. <laughs> he maketh the hinds to calve, and discovereth the forests, and in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. Now look at verse 10. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. He goes through the voice of God and the voice of God and the voice of God and the voice of God seven times and then he shows you who the king is sitting on his throne. That's what's the dispensation of the fullness of times there. That's your number seven. That's that millennial rest. You got a great God in heaven. I'll stop there for tonight. You got a great God in heaven. He's powerful. He died for you and he made himself weak for you and he took your sin upon himself. But I'm telling you right now, he ain't weak. Kids ask the questions, well, what about later when Lucifer comes up and all that kind of stuff? We'll get to that as we go through Revelation, all right? But you don't ever have to worry about him ever being unseated off that throne. What you do need to concern yourself with is the fact that one day soon you're going to see him. And we'll look next week at it every single time... Anybody saw God or got close to seeing the glory of God, you know what happened to them? They fell flat on their face. I'm talking about Ezekiel. I'm talking about Daniel. I'm talking about some of the greatest men in your Bible close to God. When they saw the glory of God or God gave them some kind of, they fall flat on their face before Him. Now, that's a tough thought. Paul said in in the book of 1 Corinthians, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, you know what the context is? The judgment seat of Christ. Now that's something to think about, ain't it? We persuade men. I don't think one of us is going to strut in there to that judgment seat like, you know, but I do believe this, I do believe if we take that thing seriously and take who God is seriously between here and there, get a good view of Him. I'm trying to give you the best I know how to give you tonight. I'm sorry, if it's, not, I'm sorry it's not better, but it's the best I know how to give you. I think if we get a fair view of Him, it will help us be ready for that day. Alright, let's go ahead and be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you so much for giving us a Bible. Thank you for letting us see who you are. Uh, Best our human mind's eye can see it.